you're not a cuckold at that point because no. you're you're not, just not completely yet. out of the room. Not you're not yet. even listening. Okay, so I posed this question to you the other day, and I kind of wanted to have you elaborate on it. Do you think it is more beneficial, like all the social media and everything, do you think it is more beneficial to the government that all of that exists, or do you think it makes them harder to do their job and to keep shit, like, under wraps? Like, are they happy about the internet? Like, is the, you know, the benefit outweigh the cost? I, I still think that it's a pro-government thing just because there's so many... It, you're bombarded with so much information coming from both sides and just everywhere that it kind of muddies the waters on something that happens. Like, you'll see 10 people be like, here's a video of it, this is exactly what happened, and then you'll see 10 people are like, well this is an inaccuracy and this was cut up and this was a doctored video. So you get a little bit of like, you're like 60% sure that it's going on when before, like when you just saw everything in the mm-hmm. paper that it was just like you're dead to rights. Yeah. I think you were a little bit more decided then, but now even regardless of which side you're on, you get inundated and you get bombarded with mm-hmm. both opinions, but one opinion, you know, sounds a little bit hokier than the other one. Like, you're able to deduce it, but there's still that little bit of time when you think, well, what if what if I'm wrong? What if I'm looking at this the wrong way? Okay, the other thing, too, kind of leading into what we're going to talk about is things like this are only known about not because they released the information or they came out and they're like, hey, just to let you guys know in transparency we're doing this or we did this. This shit only comes out when somebody, like steals information or is able to like Watergate type shit. A lot of that. And then a lot of FOIA requests to try to get a hold of things. But even a FOIA request, just because you request that information doesn't mean that you're going to get it. So some of it, and we'll talk about like the release of the MLK shit. When you told me, cause you, you've actually, this is kind of, this name has been brought up. Uh, like for, I, since we started kind of this was kind of always on your like list anything shady government i pretty much i never looked into what it was and i was like is this like a fucking like phone company scam or was this some like <laughs> it some sounds type kind of, of it does it sounds like cointel pro serving your family like a fucking phone plan or a phone company uh, yeah and uh, it's not even god damn it it's not even it's horribly like unclever it's lazy like we had operation midnight climax and they're just like well this is the um counterintelligence isn't it counterintelligence program that's it right yeah just cointel pro just you and cut off the last it's cointel pro you cut off like the last five letters of every word and then you're there you couldn't fucking name this thing something else i it kind of sounds to me it sounds like a 70s video game like no a, it does but i guess that also one program being essentially fueled by lsd being having an awesome nickname or an awesome name just in itself and then these guys being just like we're just gonna fucking spy on everybody your creative brain kicks in and you get a better name that's probably why they made it sound like this. So if it ever came up, they were like, oh, it's just the government's phone plan. Yeah, could be. Um, I, I think 
kind of a longer answer to your uh, internet good or bad for the government. I think it's almost worse for companies. Just you learn little facts about different things. So like private, like private companies. Yeah, okay. Because uh, this was something that I learned on the internet, and unfortunately, I guess fortunately, unfortunately, I'm happy that it happened. Mm-hmm. But I kind of learned it through Kanye. Mm-hmm. And there's like a ripple effect when shit like this happens, where even if he's not signed to your company or the person that's causing the issues isn't signed to your company, you get ricochet shots left and right. And I saw something the other day that shocked me that I didn't really know. And after Adidas dropped Kanye for the anti-Semitism shit, Mm -hmm. then all these other companies started taking, like getting shots thrown at them. Like, well, Adidas did this. There's other companies in this country. Oh, it's like when they put a company down there like, Hey, uh, what do they say? Looking at you. Or something. There was a thing that just happened where I think a real estate agent in like Texas had started sending this like hateful like shit toward. I don't even know if it was like an elected official. It might have been. I'm not sure. But like was threatening his family, was threatening to come after him and then use his actual just regular number. (laughs) And he looked it up and he was listed in like the MLS, like Texas real estate. And they found him. He's like, you realize I'm forwarding this to the FBI because you've threatened my family. And he talked about it. He's like, um, his two, he named the like hate that he had kids and shit, but it's just crazy that nobody understands that. And even on like a more macro level, like I didn't realize that Coco, uh, Coca Cola was tied in with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Look at that bottle. They made that. That's an actual Coke bottle in the shape of a swastika. Wait, a Coke? What do you mean? That's, that's Coca Cola. That's the bottom of the bottle. That's the. Um, like some of the advertising that they used to do, it was literally on a swastika over in Germany. Okay. I, okay. What, what am I looking at though? Am I looking at like, it's like a sign, like a a window hanger or something like that, but it says Coca-Cola was a major presence in Nazi Germany. Even though officials in the Reich said, or were said to believe that the stuff was too frivolous for the German character. Nevertheless, the American nature of the product, well, flashy dreams appealed too much to the German public and the stuff was kept around. It wasn't until 1942 that the company's presence in the nation was seriously threatened. Um, they had bottling plants over in Germany that they kept oh, all yeah, through that. A worldwide company. Listen, man, like, we're going to, we'll do companies. Have I, we done any companies yet? No. Actual, uh, we did kind of like Hearst's empire. A little bit. But, it, even shit down his vein. Like, MGM was a major player. They would make films, and they would cut the word Jew out of movies that they sent over there mm-hmm. just to appease the Nazi party. It's the same thing that they do for... Um, I guess they do it in China still, huh? They, they American-made movies have to take into consideration stuff about um, that's not going to offend China because it's such a huge market. They do that with, like... Oh, what movie was that? Eh, they got they're, they're doing what they got to do, I guess. General um, Motors, though, 1935 GM built a factory in Berlin for the purpose of building blitz trucks for the Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht, the German military. Oh, is that what that word means? The Wehrmacht, yeah. It seems like armies a lot easier to say. Military is really easy to say. But That's the German name for it at that time, I guess. You think Germans have really good oral just because their tongues have to move around their mouth so much when they speak? I mean, our tongues move around quite a bit, don't they? They our, do. Our lips and our mouths move a little bit, so I think that it's the same same shit. I think when you're speaking German, though, it just seems like it's a lot of and a lot of and that's just your tongue pressing on stuff. It's I don't horrible. know. That would be 
Is there, there's got to be a poll out there that's like what nationality due to the complexity of their language statistically gives the best oral pleasure or something like that. That's, you know what? The internet has found that out. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's information has been researched since like the nineties. We're going to, you're going to find an article from the nineties to be like, oh, we already figured this out. The first thing they did when the internet came out was like, let's start getting some information here. That's how they found out that French was the language of love. Yes. Cause they're just really good at eating box. Ha ha. Right. Uh, you know a guy who may not have been great at eating box, but also really hated everybody? Yeah. Man's name is J. Edgar Hoover. I don't know if he's any relation to Herbert Hoover, but this guy plays a massive role in our story today. The name, like, J. Edgar Hoover, the name is so... I'm trying to think, just... It's not synonymous with anything. What am I, what am I, word? what am I looking for here? It just, it's so uh, like etched in American kind of history that you learn about or that you hear about just through like social media or like popular culture, things like that, that you'd swear he was not just the director of the FBI. You think he was more popular than Herbert Hoover? I'm saying he's more well known than, I'm saying people make the mistake of some, sometimes mistaking him for being the president. Well, that's what I mean. Like, J. Edgar, you think, is more popular than Herbert? Because I do. Not like, not, I don't know, more popular is the right term, but more well-known. If you say Hoover, it's like vacuums, J. Edgar, and then Herbert third. Yes. yes. If not, if not J. Edgar Hoover for me, then Hoover vacuum, then... I wonder if they were related. I... Everyone, it was nepotism at that time, wasn't it? It was all nepotism. Like, we're going to talk about when Kennedy's, and Kennedy's the fucking president, and then who's the attorney general? It's his fucking brother. RFK. There's a lot of weird kind of crossover and stuff in this. It's funny when we talk about all the crossover that you see in, like, in Europe, as far as different areas that we talk about that are in different things. Is Uh, there stuff on the little board, too? No, it's from last week. Oh, okay. Look. Like, we talk about in Europe, like, Alexander the Great crosses over into multiple stories and into Egypt and into all these different areas. America does a lot of that, too, except for they're in smaller sections because they're presidents, and so the max they can go is eight. Here's the difference I'm kind of finding out, is that, like, all of the things that happened in, like, ancient what you would consider like ancient times for like Alexander and all these people, like the Pharaohs crossing over and then Caesar and Cleopatra and all that shit kind of being around the same time is all like the well-known people here in America are, are like assholes. It's like the bad. I, yeah, I, I think there's a few, even the good players in this story. Like I'm a, a very big fan of LBJ. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I like him necessarily because of all his I policies, like but yeah. And, I, and his brother. I, I like, um, LBJ because we'll have to do a presidential episode, but him and Jumbo, I've told you about Jumbo. No. Uh, LBJ had a nickname for his dong cause it was so big, I guess. Oh, that's right. And he would take like, pressers and shit like that in the bathroom mm-hmm. like he would just walk into the bathroom while the press was following him and he would never close the stall door he'd like pony up to the urinal and drop his pants to his ankles and just bare ass the entire media he, he just why would the press be following him in there well if they're following him around the white house and they're having like a 
uh, so doing not like interview. active active press like no. someone just doing a current interview at the time and he just okay, gets you made it sound like there's a press corps in there being like mr president mr president <laughs> lbj once told um two secret service guys that were down there keeping an eye on him in texas on his ranch they asked him or they told him that he needed to be careful for rattlesnakes as he was turned around pissing in the desert mm-hmm. and he goes son once these rattlesnakes catch a peek of this, they'll be running the other way. Like, he was just that dude. And he did great things for civil rights, I think. But he plays kind of a a rough, darker part in this. There's there People are complicated, man. People <sighs> are very complicated. There's no... I don't think there's any truly, truly black and white people. I think everyone... Uh, maybe a few. But I think people primarily exist in the gray. It's just to what degree of gray you are. And it's kind of like we were talking about off air the other night about the corruption that you see in politics and in Congress and all that. And you know that there's people that are putting money in pockets and they're standing up for things mostly because they're getting paid for it. This is kind of like a you see kind of the dirtier side of people as far as you see what happens when the wrong people pretty much get to have unchecked power absolute power that's that's what it actually it it is like the people that are supposed to be watching these people are just kind of buying the you know bullshit story they're telling them and just approving all this because they're probably also able to make it sound beneficial to them oh this is why we're doing this okay well let's let's just get into it okay so uh the counterintelligence program it was active between 56 and 71 but it's like foundations actually extend all the way back to like world war one and world war two it just was an international project at that as point soon before as, it as came soon home. as war starts occurring any like think about it in the terms of like there is as long as there's been war there's always been espionage at some degree, you sent scouts out to gather information on the enemy troop movements to come back and report to you. Then it became more sophisticated when it was like in the World War One, you would have spies trying to be established in your different armies or different command structures. World War Two, you had that even more so. We've done an episode on that. And then in uh, the Cold War, I mean, going across the Berlin Wall and all that kind of cloak and dagger and that kind of shit. So as soon as like telephone communication and these certain avenues of communication as they advance. It's not long before they're finding out a way to tap this kind of stuff and gather information through these services. If not knowing how to do it even beforehand. The first step is invention. And the second step is figuring out how to help your defenses with that invention or to beat those defenses. I, there is, yeah, I guess this is technically counterintelligence, mm-hmm. but it just basically started out as intelligence because that's all that they were gathering during wars when mm-hmm. you were bugging phones and all that. And then they realized all that, that intelligence gathering is pointed outward away from your nation. You're doing it for the good of your nation. You're gathering intelligence to win the war. This is what happens when all of that gets turned inward and is used against your, your populace and exposing all of that populace for really just kind of weird gains. And one of the things I, this one's going to be kind of tough because 
like when we start talking about communism and socialism and all that kind of stuff, it seems like America has been scared of communism since communism was a thing. Like they were always really worried about it. And I understand the differences between capitalist, communism, all that kind of stuff. But if they thought that capitalism was such a, a great thing, why in the world was everybody always so scared to try to snuff out communism before it could take hold? Yeah, like they felt it was this great threat that if it, if the spark caught and everything like that, it would grow into a fire. And it would, I'm like, well, I'm not saying communism is the better idea. That's where but, it's going to be tough. I know it is because like what happens is if you really think about it, sometimes that is the birth of better ideas is something just advances past it. Here's my whole whole thing, and I probably need to do more research on this. There's like, okay, you have capitalism, which is the, capitalism is essentially not the form of government, it's the form of economy or how... The economy inside okay. the government. But then you have communism, which is a com, it's a combination of both the government and capitalism. The government owns the, everything, yes. and the government can disperse okay. it equally and all that, which... That's where communism fails because okay. it's we have leaders that are shitheads okay. that aren't going to disperse anything. Where do, and then socialism, which is a offshoot of communism, sort in of a way. It, it's kind of like communism light as far as socialism. Like you still have the rights to, I guess. But your government is trying to equal the level the playing field. Yeah, that's what kind of what it sounds like. Okay, why is it that like everyone like it can't. Everyone feels like it's like this one, this one, or this one. There's like three, three in front of you. Isn't that the whole beauty of like the government and also businesses and everything that if they wanted a hybrid of that, that you can take the positive aspects of one, get rid of the negatives and combine them together to make it mutually better. It's, it's a weird concept to me that like it always has to be a two-party system of government. It always has to be take your pick of these forms of economy or some shit. Like what the whole point of the great experiment was figure it was, they built democracy. They built the, the structure of democracy. They did that. We had the opportunity to do that. And we went with capitalism, but what happens when your democracy, it evolved and we had to make changes to it and everything. Why didn't business do the same thing where it got to evolve? I think they did, and we tried to keep up with it as far as... Do you think as... it just got to capitalism and that was the most financially beneficial for the people in charge, and they're like, we don't need to change it? It could be a lot of that. And capitalism, free market enterprise, you have people that have ascended the ranks and gone from small businesses to large corporations, and that's great. That's the American dream. Like mm -hmm. That's the shit that you want to do. Yeah. As Unfortunately, crazy as it sounds everyone wishes they pulled the Bezos. Everyone wishes oh yeah. they pulled the Gates and had that spark of the idea. Well, we're the first ones, and then the first ones to follow through on it. And I'm not saying that like those guys are so big now that it's actually very scary and everything. And I like say what you want about Bill Gates, but the fact that he's donated as much money as he has, like he he's understanding. Like I can't take it with me. I would. I I would line my coffin with just stacks of $100 nope. bills. If, if I had that and I could set myself up for life and my kids and their kids and everything, it wouldn't take much out of that kind of fortune to do that, to have them live. A, not even a normal, like a very comfortable, well-to-do life. And then just spread that money out to like what you feel are the most noble endeavors 
and see if one fucking hits. And then when you're gone, what if you potentially were the spark or that catalyst to do something that like save the planet or some shit? We've talked about before, like what we would do with lottery winnings and that type of thing. Half of it's already, I already have to donate. My deal is with the, with the fates that if it happens, half of my winnings have to go to, I can spread it out however I want. Oh, this is your deal. Yes, but it has to be above a certain amount. So that's the deal with fate. So if my, if my take home is like three million. No, I'm not. At that point, I need that. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, fate's got to negotiate a little bit. No, my deal is like, and it's it's even better because the more I get, the more I'm going to donate. So my it, my take home's got to be somewhere within that fifty to eighty, and then if I can take home fifty, I can do everything I've ever dreamed of doing easily with twenty five million invested, living off you know the interest and everything, and take twenty five million of that and. Fuck, do something for a hospital around here. Um, help a few, like, I don't know, the fucking homeless shot. Like, what could you do with all that? What could you do to help even the city, like, or your state do better? Donate to the fucking, we need it for the schools, Jesus. I, and that's where I don't know, obviously not having exorbitant amounts of wealth where I can start We're, to, This like, is getting away from us no, quickly. But it's kind of a fun thought process mm-hmm, to have. Mm-hmm. But... I just don't understand maybe like how far money goes. Like we've talked about it before. And if I had like $15 million to donate, I'd go down to the hospital or like an oncology center and be like, realistically to get like a better understanding and a better hold on cancer. What's that number? Like, is there a number that I can give you that would like put us leaps and bounds ahead of where we are now? I think you just have to take that and you have to find where the most promising places to put that money behind is. I don't know if I'm smart enough to figure that no, out. No, no, no. You, you, if you wanted to do that, man, I'm telling you, there would be no shortage of people knocking on your door trying to go ahead and, and point in the right direction. That's one of those things, too, is like, how do I, I trust those people? That's what I was going to say. It's like I, Brewster's man, Millions. It's, that's when you got to try to just trust a little. I mean, of course, you're going to do your due diligence. You're going to have people looking out for you. But that's when you almost have to trust that humanity hasn't reached that level of shitbag where, where they're trying to point you in the wrong kid's cancer research direction and into a fucking scam. Mm-hmm. Some nonprofit where everybody's profiting. Speaking of people getting scammed. Communists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so J. Edgar Hoover pretty much had a fucking grudge against everybody who was not a white male. He didn't have a grudge against white women, I guess. Oh, uh, if the rumors are true and he was gay, that's kind of a grudge against women, right? Okay, I guess that could be. Um, but yeah, so pretty much anybody and anybody that was trying to disrupt um, what he felt was the status quo within the country. Um, anybody, you know, any dissension... Vietnam uh, protesters, um, civil rights, civil rights activists. Uh, it was actually uh, Contelpro, can Cointelpro, Cointelpro. It's it's so like, it sounds so shitty. Cointelpro wasn't. It's just goofy to fucking say it. Wasn't there a computer that was sounded like that? Probably Intel. Yeah, ding 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 ding. Oh yeah, so that's probably why okay. it sounds like so Cointelpro was first established to root out communism from getting a foothold in the United States. So that's how much, you know, that's how much the government feared communism even gaining a foothold. 
And they ran into some, I don't really know if you could call them like self-inflicted wounds, but a big kind of push for communism um, during these times when it started to kind of find its way onto our borders was the Great Depression. And here's the thing, man. The number of people that were part of the, what was the name of the um, American Communist Party? See, they they were very original with their names, too. They went CPUSA, Communist Party USA. USA. Okay. So they were only like 200,000 members of that. That's a lot, I think, back in that time, though. It's not that long ago, man. It's it's 56. Uh, But even before that, they were, after the Great Depression, they saw it swell up to like 85,000 members. I know, but I'm saying that like, that's a lot of fear for that amount of people. When, what are they going to, what are you afraid they're going to do? Like, you have all this faith in your form of capitalism. Like, just let it fucking destroy these guys. That's what I think too. I I find it odd that they didn't have enough faith in capitalism to snuff this out. To snuff out 200,000 people spread throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if it was so much that they might've been worried about capitalism standing up is this is cold war, pre cold war ish kind of times. So anything leads right into the cold war. Anything that's happening where the USSR is gaining a foothold in our country, I'm sure was very scary because They uh, one so of the, essentially it's early parts of the Red Scare, where they're trying to root out anything that's even tied to McCarthyism. Right? Okay, all Russian that kind of stuff. That okay, I can I can see that. Yeah, that then just say that then. Yeah. Well, you I, also can make it known that you were looking for Russian spies. They used to do these things called black bag jobs, and this was pre Cointel Pro. This mm-hmm. is like forties, kind of fifties, right before like Cointel Pro's daddy or. Yeah, Uncle. pre-Intel Pro, maybe. Okay, there you go. But they would do black bag jobs where they would break into these um, communist groups, like, buildings, mm-hmm. and they would steal the roles of all the membership. Mm-hmm. And then That's right. with all the membership, the kind of shit that they would do just to screw with them and kind of sow dissent. They, they would, would get people fired from their jobs. I, yeah, from, and they would yeah. <laughs> weird things. I guess it's not weird. But when they saw that they had, like, younger members, like, college-age members that Mm -hmm. were kind of starting to get into communism, Mm -hmm. these people would write down, like, um, thank you for attending our seminar on communism. We're so glad to have you on the Mm -hmm. team, comrade. And then they would mail those postcards home to their houses so their parents would see them. Huh? Did they use that term? Comrades? Yeah. I I would imagine that would be a little too on the nose. Because they weren't trying to mimic. They just saw it as... Um, you know, from their point of view, it was the more fable, favorable f- form. What do you mean? Who? The people that were part of the um, CPUSA. Yeah, they did. But the counterintelligence, the FBI, mm-hmm. was sending these postcards home to these kids that they found on the rolls. And they were writing on the outside of the postcards all these different, like, phrases and buzzwords and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So the postman would be able to see just delivering mail that you were a communist sympathizer. Oh, okay. Your parents would see that you're at college looking into communism. And obviously if you have a strong sense of nationalism, you're going to push back against mm-hmm. that. So they were trying to let the public basically see that these people were not involved, but just kind of flirting with the idea. So, you know how in our country today we have essentially what, what people just call it's the blanket, you know, it's this or that. It's either capitalism or socialism. That's kind of the, the debate at this point. 
but we basically live in like a capitalist socialist country because the whole thing with socialism is it's the fire department. It is the police department. Isn't it the police department too? Police department, fire department, a highway district, highway district. Yeah. Roads, everything like that. Public schools, education. There's you get into, um, what's the shit that old people get? Uh, like uh, social security. Yeah. Medicare. Uh, All that stuff is a socialist program that has uh, benefited billions of people. When you need like assistance like Mm -hmm. that, financial assistance, WIC, uh, the government even handles child support. It even offers a, a socialism to go ahead and try to get like child support payments and everything. Well, tra- then in private industry too, because insurance companies are literally all just a socialist pot where everybody that has a, a insurance plan pays right. into it. Then when somebody gets what hurt, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is I, you can say it's that without it being like someone being like, you're a socialist. You can admit to there are socialist services completely that we're completely dependent on in our society. But the moment you say that in any way, shape, or form that somebody feels like it's going to take more money out of their pockets, they're like, hell no. But it, it's already – the structure is already in place. You don't have to pay any more for it. You can just reallocate funds from other programs and stuff like that. That's what the government's supposed to do when they see deficiencies. Getting back to that, can you imagine today if someone was like, yeah, I, I believe that a form of socialism can exist within capitalism like it does currently and – all of a sudden, like your job got sent something like this guy's a socialist and you got fired for that. Can you imagine that today? Not in this day and age, by the way, (laughs) not in this day and age, but in the nineties in the eighties, I, I'm Mm -hmm. absolutely sure that there were people that got fired for being gay. I mean, before we had don't ask, don't tell if you were found to be gay in the military, they just kick your ass out. Like that's would you get dishonorably discharged. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, It's not, there's a lot of different forms of the same beast. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think fortunately at this point, we've kind of fought them down where like, you just can't do that, Mm -hmm. which is great. But at the same time to know that there were so many angles that somebody could get fired for what they believed in their sexual orientation. That would be like firing somebody for their religious beliefs. Which would be World War Three. Yeah. We went through that with, um. The bakers that didn't want to make the gay. Oh, the gay, yeah, the gay cake. The gay cake, Mm -hmm. which going through all of that in the Supreme Court and all that, I agree with their ruling. It's the company's right to do it. Mm -hmm. They're just shitty people. and Yeah, it's just, here's here's the whole point, is if there's two cake places and one has no problem doing it and the other does have a problem, go to which one you ever agree with. And then guess what? Capitalism will decide. But... Also, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, that's, to me, we had a chance if it wasn't J. Edgar, I would like to think that a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened, but he kind of was the anti-gay bakery where he wanted to push the limits on everybody. And Mm -hmm. starting out with communism, if that's the biggest threat to America is communism, I, I get maybe wanting to find information through unscrupulous means. I don't think it was the big threat that they were as concerned about or as no, they I thought think it, it was. No, I think it opened the door. If if they were able to sell this, then they could sell other stuff. That sounded like it was piggybacking on this or close to this or could cause something like this. Uh, by the way, you have up there that the CPUSA was 85,000 strong. I'm going to trust your number on that over mine. So That was right after the Great Depression. Oh, okay. 
So it was people that were turning against their government okay, it, because yeah, they were I think fucked when, over. When they started going after it, it might have been like around 200,000. So it was growing, but still, that's, you know, that's not growing by that much, actually. No, and they're they're sending spies into these meetings that are just sowing discontent between everybody. They're asking questions that are hot button issues that are getting everybody arguing. Well, they're just trying to shut it down from the inside. Yeah. And here's the thing too, is the part of it that they were focused on the most that the people that were part of the CPUSA, it was the labor rights. You're coming off the great depression in that scenario. All of these people have been laid off from jobs that they worked and had no protection against anything. And so they saw something that they were like, this could potentially help us should this situation occur again. Let's try to look into this. There is hope that maybe we can yeah. be better protected going into the next job. So again, like, if you were in that situation, have you ever been so desperate that, you know, you're looking for something that can, like you just said, give you that hope? That's That shouldn't be a crime. No, it shouldn't be a crime to look to better your situation if you are down and out. If you're to Scientology... <laughs> How many people get into that because something sounds good? And I, I still contend that Scientology, and it's just a fact, and it's probably an age thing, but Scientology has killed less people than Catholic, cat, God damn it, Catholic, Catholicism. Catholicism. It's killed less people than like every other religion. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, so kind of crazy. Less blood on your hands. I and I. Oh, not let, a the, let, the, but... let the crazy people worship their crazy stuff. I'm not against it. I just think it's very like, it, I don't think it's believable. I'm like, you guys, you went for it. God bless you. <laughs> and you were able to get some people hooked in. So I think this was kind of J. Edgar's religion, though. I think he, he, I don't know if he's a spiritual man, but he had the spirit of wanting to take down anybody that was going to hurt him or his other white male buddies. So kind of going back to what I was saying too, you know, about as soon as like, phone systems and things like that started to gain popularity. Apparently, even by 1939, the Supreme Court rules that warrantless wiretapping is illegal. So it's already been such an issue in at 39, in 39, that the Supreme Court has to rule on it and be like, no, we can't do this shit anymore. And Hoover was like, well, hey, guys, this is for national security that we at the FBI are going to continue to do this. So it's cool. And what is that move? Like, it's wrong. It's illegal. But it's for national defense. Inside of our own borders, it's for national defense. Oh, yeah. Defense. We'll make sure no one else is doing this. Part of our job will also be making sure that everyone else is sticking to the rules and we'll, we'll take care of that. You can't wiretap who you want unless they're a threat to us, which if you're the one that's making up the idea to go after these people, you're going to make them sound as bad as possible. Well, and think of, you know almost like the fear mongering that probably occurred in a lot of those situations where they were having conversations about national Tons. defense when you're in those scenarios of like, Hey, 39, that's pre-world war two. Even after that with Hoover being in there, when did Hoover get into the, when was he the, uh, he was the leader of the FBI for a long ass time. Well, so that was already, you know, set for the wiretapping thing. But when you're talking to people during a time when you've just come off a world war, you have these national threats now from the USSR. And you're like, listen, we don't know if we have spies in our country. It would probably be a pretty easy sell, right? I, I would assume so. He was in office from June 30th, 1935 to May 2nd, 1972. That is so long to be the he leader was the of the fucking, FBI. Like, 
godfather just of the FBI. He, he so his he president family, FDR, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon. He was six presidencies. He that's, had that much time just to do whatever the fuck he wanted. I, and that's it, most of it was completely unchecked until the end. I, Robert Kennedy put up a little bit of a fight. We'll talk about that. But he also backed down at the same time. Uh, so 56 is really when COINTELPRO starts. And Dwight Eisenhower is starting to be more and more concerned about communism like we're talking about, and he wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to affect. Do you think that's the his? Do you think that's his military mindset? Because yeah. he, he basically was, he was thinking, "This is going to be. We can't get into another world war. This one is. This one will kill everyone." Hey, he's seen some shit. He's he was over there. He knows what what goes on. He was concerned. He's like J. Ed, do what you need to do, man. Yeah, and I. I assume he probably wasn't too bummed about getting his hands dirty as long as nobody found out. And that's what this whole thing is all predicated on is that it doesn't get out. It doesn't leak. There's no no governmental leaks that people can find out about mm-hmm. and be like, oh, is my shit wiretapped? Is my shit wiretapped? So after that happens, um, <laughs> they really do a a number on the CPUSA. They're, they're Dude, breaking they just, in. They just smear the shit out of them is all they do. And that's their whole thing was just um, not like decoys, but if they could muddle everything up enough to where people are really starting to question other people in the organization, then you start getting divisions. Then you start getting other people talking and that's when everything starts to go south. Well, and it escalates for them too. So like you see, they're kind of starting off light with the CPUSA. So they're just doing kind of a smear campaign. Like they're exposing people's like, you know, sexual preferences to members of the, you know, you know, auditing party members causing, like you said, infighting within the organization, trying to break it up from within. And you're going to kind of see where their methods get more and more spread. They're willing to go ahead and do more, you know, more questionable things. I, to me, that's just so crazy that you would try to cause somebody as much issue as possible that you would start feeding the IRS bad intel, and these people are getting audited like every year, every couple years, every six months, just because they're saying, there's nothing wrong here, but we don't like these people. We don't like that they're communists. We don't like that they don't believe it. So we're just going to let the IRS go after them. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. (laughs) And then so after completely pretty much destroying the CPUSA, Hoover needed another target at this point. Do you think he is just the kind of person that always has to be at war with somebody? Always has to have an axe to grind. It's like he thinks he loses his fastball if he doesn't have an enemy. Like there's, kind no, of there's like no peace time. Mm-hmm. There's only the next target. Yeah. It's, that to me is kind of, like I say, I think this was his religion. This was what he believed in beyond anything else was trying to keep the status quo, but also... He needed it. Like he needed a, a Joker to his Batman. He always needed an enemy. And turns out, after he knocked out communism, he started going after good people instead of bad people. Which, well, in his mindset, though, they are the bad people. Yeah, I, I. How don't did? Really... I mean, I know a lot. Of, <clears throat> I'm not going to assume I know how much the people in charge of J. Edgar Hoover knew what he was doing or didn't know what he was doing, but. Like you literally just saw a situation where you had a, you know, 
at a time when he was also the head of the FBI, where in World War II you had somebody going after specific ethnicities or ethnic groups. Yeah. And somehow you have that in your mindset that that's still okay. I guess that's just kind of the next logical thought. It's just there's it's just it's not shitty places. It's shitty people is what it is. Yeah. And that's so much of his thought process just was devoid of that. Like he we fight enemies abroad, but the enemies that are homegrown, which nowadays you see homegrown terrorism. We see people that are fanatics, crazy people that are doing it. And we still have a tough time to this day saying that homegrown terrorism is more of a threat to our populace than international terrorism. But for some reason, now we can't recognize it and look at it. Whereas before, terrorists were civil rights leaders. They were civil rights organizations. It's because the government pointed you at them. The government's not... The government's, you know, we're in a situation where there's a huge portion of the populace that has some weird understanding or empathy with, I guess, that very, like, fanatical faction. Or maybe maybe they don't. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's the, you know, the fewest people in the room usually scream the loudest. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. I, I just got away from this for the last day and a half, so I am... <laughs> Let's not get into into that part of it. But so he's going after civil rights organizations at this point, and pretty much any left leaning liberal organizations, including Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is created by yeah, it's created by MLK, yeah, created by uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. And RFK. This is when. So this is obviously when uh, Kennedy was president. Um. John F. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Because RFK was his attorney general. Yeah. So RFK is, is the attorney general, basically the leader of the Justice Department, who the FBI would have to go to for permission, which is strange. Why are they asking permission on this? I think it's because they kind of had to make good faith efforts into it. Like, they, they had to kind of do the song and dance to make them think that they were trying to do it above board. Mm-hmm. But after they get told no, it's like, okay, well, now we just have to be... It's kind of like they want to see how much leniency they have. And Before if they, they get a yes... Anyway. They, they want to gauge how much trouble they're going to be mm-hmm. in by how much trepidation you exactly. have giving your answer. How much more covert they're going to have to go with this mm-hmm. mission. So he does end up... But Robert F. Kennedy does allow the wiretapping. So Stanley Levinson, is he... He's the speechwriter for Martin Luther King, right? Yep. Okay. And he had some kind of loose affiliations and ties with the CPUSA. And part of their big attack on the civil rights groups that were coming forward were they thought that this was like communism hiding behind a wall of Americans. Like this is where communism was going to get its foothold? Mm -hmm. They, They thought that it was like that communists in the USSR were controlling these organizations that were trying to bring up evil in the country, which that's a pretty far leap to go. And Levinson... It's it's a fear mindset. Yeah. Hey, you're it's always, making those Gladwellian leaps. Like, this will lead to this, and then all of a sudden you jump, like, three spaces in, and you're like, and this leads to this, and you're like, how did you connect that? It's like, it's all connected, man. Instead of playing defense, you just want to play offense all the time. Can I see that pen? Yeah. Um, so, Levinson... Hey, they do kind of investigations into him, take a look at him. He doesn't really have a lot of ties, but again, it's just J. Edgar's gut feeling. Levinson 
understands that this is going to be, or he understands that Levinson could present this clear and present danger because MLK was rising through the ranks. He was more than just a pastor at that point. He was becoming a civil rights icon. You have the, the March on Washington, I think is what it was. Mm -hmm. All these people are showing up to listen to him giving speeches. And that's a scary thing for people that want to keep the status quo in America. I see him doing the thing where he cuts together parts of speeches that would fit within a communist ideology. And he's like, listen, what he said during this part, he's referring to this, Mr. President, or he's referring to this, Mr. Attorney General. He's like, I guess that makes sense. I mean, yeah. When he says, I have a dream, do you know who sleeps? Communists. Do you know who has dreams when they sleep? Communists. Mm -hmm. Definitely communism. Just a, a cat that's scared of its you own might tail. Be ben Affleck. It's that kind of mindset. Yeah. You are white. Uh, they end up really, I don't know if I would call a full blitzkrieg, but um, as they were paying attention to the civil rights movement, Hoover started to create lists of communists that he believed surrounded MLK and mm -hmm. that were around these other leaders. And he knew that he couldn't publish them. Because if they published them, they would have to cite how they figured it out. Mm -hmm. And they can't say that they were wiretapping him to get any of this information or that they were doing these black bag jobs and breaking into these civil rights organizations and stealing their roles. It still, it still benefited, though, because although he couldn't release that information to the press and, like, for the free press, he could still use that information to keep furthering his own goals against the civil rights movement because he would just then have to go, whoever needed to approve things... He could be like, this is the ties we have to all these people around him. So the information was still useful. Well, it was just like, he's like, oh, gosh, darn it. I can't ruin all these people's lives publicly. I'm still going to fuck them up, though. But they weren't communists. Like, they they were just people that, like you say, they had, like, one little string on them that wasn't mm -hmm. right that he would immediately call communist. Mm -hmm. So instead of, excuse me, publishing out to the masses, he starts circulating around D.C. So there's senators and members of Congress mm -hmm. that are seeing these things. There's people that are higher ups in defense and policing that are kind of starting to be on the lookout for it. And I, I'm sure that that was a stress that he wanted to try to put out. He wanted to put as much pressure on him as possible. Yeah. So JFK ends up getting assassinated. That makes Lyndon B. Johnson president. He, um, actually forces Hoover to, at that point, allocate some resources to infiltrate the KKK. Do you know how much, <clears throat> What percentage of the resources were allocated to fight white nationalism? LBJ wasn't a fan of it, so probably a decent amount? No. 16. 16 what? 16%. Oh. That, to me, seems like a fairly big budget, though. And one of the things that we'll Dude, see... you can't say that that's... That's just against white nationalism. That means every other thing against all these other civil rights or left-leaning groups, was the other 84%. You don't think it was spread out over other things, do you? think it was just the two things that they were going after? It's whatever Hoover wanted it to go after. Yeah. And I'm guessing I, he's not going after his buddies or people that think like him. Well, he was very much against um, infiltrating the KKK and trying to get into that organization. He thought that you, that you was... You don't say. Yeah, he thought that that was just their way of life. And LBJ finally had to be like, yo... This is what you're doing now. I understand that you hate black people and all these religious civil rights people, not religious civil rights people. 
you need to go down and handle this shit because I'm trying like, to pass the civil feel rights like act. That's how the conversation between Lynn. I think I think Lynn and B. Johnson was probably like, oh, I know Jay that you have your. I don't know why everyone would sound like Nixon or anything like that, but he's like, if you could just you know get some people into the KKK, I'd I'd sure appreciate it. I I think he was a lot tougher on him though because passing the civil rights legislation that LBJ passed. He needed to start making it look like That's he true. cared about it. And yeah. he was also trying to get reelected. Hmm. And so I think it was a, a concerted effort that he pushed him down there. And one of kind of the hot bud things that they ran into was down in, I believe it was Philadelphia. Yeah, it's right there. Philadelphia, Mississippi in 1964, there were three civil rights advocates that went missing. And you've seen the movie Mississippi Burning. It's a fine, fine piece of work. It's William Defoe. Um, I know it's on that. There's, I have a list. I have like, you know, the captain fucking America, little tiny notebook yeah. of like things you should have seen in your lifetime. And I've seen a lot of shit. Uh-huh. There's just a lot of shit at new that catches your attention. Um, but there's like classic movies that I haven't seen. I didn't know Mississippi burning is one of those. I, it is a classic movie. It's just the subject matter is so tough. Cause it's about this case. I've never seen Shawshank from start to finish. I've watched Shawshank in so many pieces, but I've like always, I've seen the full movie. You've been able to mesh them together. Well, yeah. If you watch TNT at any point, like (laughs) any 15 year gap or anything, when they were showing like on constant repeat, it was like a Christmas story when they would show 24 hours. Shawshank was on every day. Well, that it was just so long that being like a three plus hour movie, by the time you get commercial breaks, it's like five. Mm -hmm. Oh, so in Mississippi Burning, um, Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman played the two lead investigators for mm-hmm. the FBI that go down there. And the whole movie is just so cool how it breaks down, like them trying to figure out, like Willem Dafoe is trying to play good cop and mm-hmm. Gene Hackman's like full on bad cop. And what they found, and I... Is Gene Hackman like bad racist cop? No, he's he's more like the, you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet guy. Okay. And he's, the, he's the street smart tough Veteran. Rookie or a wily vet. And then okay. you got um, Willem Dafoe, who's kind of more like straight laced, try to do it by the book. Okay. But Gene Hackman's character ends up being the catalyst for all this to go down. I don't know. I never saw like if that's accurate to how this whole thing in Philadelphia went down. But when they went down there to investigate in the town, it was just so rampant that you could tell like all these characters in the movie, like the sheriff and the deputies Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. You could tell that they were all very racist about it too. And kind of what happened, like when Rambo walks into that town in Oregon and everyone is just against him from the get go. A little bit with with some, with more racial undertones. Well, and when they're trying to figure out like where these three um, (laughs) activists went and the sheriff's like, yep, Don't it know. happened. Yeah, it we happened. We did what we could. Yeah. And that was when uh, they get better with the names because this mission was called COINTELPRO White Hate, mm-hmm. which kind of on the nose, but I figure White Hot Hate might be a better. I'm good with it. Like it's just burning well, it's inside of them. Me, yeah. But they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get info from local members in the way that they would do it would be they would start bribing these guys to give them information and not like small sums of money either, like tens of thousands of dollars for some of these guys to start flipping, Mm -hmm. to start giving out names. 
And after they kind of figure out who the leaders in the town are and kind of in that area of Mississippi, they start sending out mailers just like they did against the communists. Mm-hmm. And this, they were actually pretty cool. It was like a guy with a hood on and they'd send them out to the clan members. So mm-hmm. as soon as they got in the mail, they would see it. And it was start sweating them. Yeah, yeah. It was somebody like peeking under the hood and it's mm-hmm. like, we can see who you are. Try keeping your hood down next time, brothers. Mm-hmm. And so it got everybody in such a tizzy that then they it's, started it's looking further at him. It stirred up a fervor among the KKK community. Well, and it's like they ran to him because as soon as they did that, everybody was trying to cover their own asses. Mm-hmm. So then they started coming and dumping off more information to the FBI. Everyone's trying to flip on everyone. Yeah. And luckily it ended up leading to them finding the bodies and they figured out that um, sort of the story was, was the sheriff and the deputy sheriff were in the KKK and a lot of the other members of the town's police force they ended up basically letting the three escape out of the jail cell that they were in. Mm-hmm. And then they just let the clan follow them, find them, shoot them and kill them. And so they go through in, in the movie, it says, I'm pretty sure it's accurate, but the sheriff and the deputy sheriff and everybody that committed the murders went to trial in Mississippi, all found innocent. Every single one of them, there was just ironclad evidence that this happened. Like, admittances that this happened. Mm-hmm. They were all found innocent. Luckily, on the federal trial, when they... Um, Appealed it. Well, the... Challenged the verdict or whatever, however they do it. Yeah, like a civil rights trial. Yeah. Like, the national government found out that they had violated all the civil rights, and it was still, like, they got seven years for every count, or, like, 25 years total. Like, just not a whole lot of good outcomes. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important things to kind of get from this part of it is they were paying these clan members like large sums of money to do this. They were willing to throw more money at it to kind of try to get this information out. They weren't trying to break it up. They were just trying to get this figured out so they could report back to LBJ and say, hey, we we caused some issues. Clan's done. KKK. We can focus more back on the civil rights yep. people. We're good. And that's exactly what they did. As soon as they finished with white hot hate, as soon as they figured out what happened down in Mississippi, they really backed out of the KKK. They left them in disarray, but they didn't. Kill them like they did the CPUSA. Yeah. Before we go on, I got to pee. Okay. All right. While we take a break from class and uh, take care of some business, you can also take care of some business. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter already, our Instagram handle is historically high pod. That's historically high pod, and our Twitter is historically high. That's historically hi. All right, and back to our show. A lot of anger in the streets there's a lot of people taking to the streets and they see that a lot of the pushback is coming from kids that are draft age Mm -hmm. which only makes sense because war i think is a necessary evil but if you're 18 years old 19 years old there's you want to get drafted there's a big difference between i'm trying to think of kind of the best way to if someone was like the world needs us, um, we're fighting an evil regime, you know, we have a draft for World War Two. A lot of people volunteered. A lot of people did. And yeah, there was the draft and everything. I think there's a big difference between that and being like, Yeah, we're having to draft people because we're gonna send you over to this tiny country where we think this kind of shit's going on, but we're not really gonna tell you a lot about it. We're just gonna point you in the direction and these people are gonna be killing you out of spider holes the whole time. Oh, we're gonna Drop you into rice one, one of those seems like the shorter 
you get the shorter end of the stick. You're going to war, but at least you can, you're going for at least a somewhat noble reason. Yeah, you're not, you don't have a lot of skin in the game. Like, they're not, if you don't go into Vietnam, you're never going to end up speaking Vietnamese. Like, that's a, there's no. Who knew where Vietnam was? How many of these people even do you think knew where it was? Well, and it was, this was just that same game plan where Vietnam was just trying to stop the spread of communism. Yes. And I'm sure. Going after war protesters, like, that's the thing, like. Well, and young ones at that, because one of the first kind of targets that they had was something called Students for a Democratic Society. It was a nonviolent group that did form protests. They were out in the streets and doing all the normal protester things, mm-hmm. but they hadn't committed any acts of violence. Like, this wasn't a, a physical threat towards anybody. This was just trying to steer the nation towards pro-war instead of having these kids out there maybe gaining a, a it's following. anybody who Hoover thinks is somewhat of a threat or to his his sensibility. This is his his own plaything, and he just gets to point it in whatever direction he doesn't like. He's kind of got, it's like he's got a battlefield. He's, he's got car, car, car blanche is what I think that's called. They really started to kind of get hot at this point, going towards civil rights groups. And uh, it was over, did we go over the six years? Yeah, so over the six-year period, uh, COINTELPRO placed over 758 wiretaps while only actually disclosing less than 20% of them. I, and that goes back to, I think, what we were talking about. So they disclosed, about. so that would be, I'm just, let me do the math real quick, 20, so what's that, like 100, they only disclosed like 170 of them? Ten percent would be seventy three, so one hundred and forty six plus. Give or give or take even ten. That's still a ridiculous amount that went <laughs> Un, unknown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, like we were talking about before. I think this was like they were asking if they could do it, and once they found out they didn't have permission, they knew that they had to push all the rest of these mm-hmm. underground. Because obviously, instead of listening to uh, "Hey, you shouldn't do this" and not doing it, it's just okay. Well, now we have to be more secretive about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, we're not we're not going to do it. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> they had a. It was in '67. After this, there was a riot in Detroit. There was a fairly large party. They got broken up by the police, and police were not obviously they're not super nice towards ethnicities now. Mm-hmm. Sounds I, about right. Back then, it was like there wasn't any hiding it. Like, there were batons and billy clubs that were bashing people left and right. And the people had had enough of it. Um, so this riot ends up happening in Detroit. The National Guard gets called in because the governor called them in. Over five days, there were 43 people killed, and there were hundreds of people injured. In five days. There were tanks rolling down the streets. Just And this was separate of Pro, really. This was just something that happened that kept kind of sparking the fire more and more towards people looking towards it's, civil it's rights. It's another card in their pocket. It's just another example of why they need more reach or why they need the reach that they need or why mm-hmm. they're going to do the programs they're going to do. Everything, Everything's trying to prevent this from happening on a nationwide scale. Oh Well, yeah, if, this is, if they're having to call a National Guard to try to quell this and it takes them five days to knock that down... What's the next one going to look like? And I'm sure that's the logic that they used in order to get to what they wanted to get. Uh, So their next project, sort of a ripoff of the first one that came to naming, uh, Cointel Pro Black Hate. 
again, pretty on the nose. They targeted a lot of different groups, some of them more peaceful than others, but kind of the overarching or the overarching, overarching. theme was they were all pretty peaceful organizations. The SCLC, the one that uh, King started, mm-hmm. uh, a pro uh, and an anti violence. So pa- pacifist movement, uh, yeah, pacifist, pacifist movement. movement. Thank you. Uh, the I thought black, that's where you're going. Yeah. The Black Panthers at this point were also another big target. And the Black Panthers, their kind of startings and beginnings, I learned a little bit more about them through this, and I'm pretty happy that I did because you hear a lot about the certain few members that went rogue and that would cause issues. But they were basically put into effect to help the more underprivileged people in the area that they were living in. Like they were providing breakfast for children. They were... They had certain different, um, like they would do testing for sickle cell anemia, Mm -hmm. that the government actually copied their strategy for these sickle cell screenings that we use today. So they did a lot of good work for the community, but at the same time, they were a threat to the status quo. How many people do you think that would never associate Black Panther, like the superhero, with Black Panther's? Because you know that had to be an inspiration. It's literally... Well, yeah, Stan Lee was a huge civil rights guy. There's no yeah. way that he, he didn't adopt that yeah. from from there. But, yeah, I, maybe I've just never thought about the people that wouldn't associate those two things, but it makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of it to the contrary. Uh, the Democratic Student Society, obviously, was already in their crosshairs, but they really started to come after them, too, and... Black hate is so much different than white hate because the way that they got information was kind of similar. Like they would use moles and they would mm-hmm. pay people off instead of paying them thousands of dollars. Their highest payout was like 500 bucks that they were giving to these people in underprivileged areas to mm-hmm. get this information. And there's a lot of, I personally getting into my um, conspirator brain. I think they caused a lot of deaths. I think they killed a lot of, high name people and a lot of very important people to these movements. Hoover's been in charge of this thing. We're, we're up to 67, probably closer to like the seventies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Hoover's been in charge of this thing. You said since 39, 39 to 69, that's 30 years. I don't think that it's like super conspiratorial to say within this time frame, with this much freedom that he's developed programs that are able to do these types of things or if you're never getting checked for things that you're doing and you can get away with so many things what's the limit of things that you think that you're not going to get away with yeah you think you're so fucking smart because you've been in that situation for so long that there's no way that you could botch something or there's no way something you could figure out a way to make sure that it never got tied back to you that there was never any doubt and that is it's a fucking super villain dude it's a pretty long buildup of getting away with things to finally get to murder, but I think it's enough time to where he could have. They, they, they it's escalating. Look at everything every single doing time, it yeah. start, and it just keeps escalating. Yeah, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that I would read about. Um, Fred Hampton was a treasurer for uh, the Black Panther movement. Mm-hmm. He was kind of involved in some other things. And they actually sent a bodyguard in, and this bodyguard worked with Fred Hampton for years. Like, became friends, got close. 
This guy ended up being an informant for the FBI that drew them a map of Fred Hampton's apartment, which then was turned over to the Chicago Police Department under the guise that Fred Hampton had a bunch of illegal guns inside of his apartment. And all it really was was just like a scheduled assassination. Because they broke in at 4.30 in the morning to do this raid on this house. Came in, I think they fired 100 bullets. And just massacred him, just killed him. And of course, they didn't find any illegal guns in the apartment. Mm-hmm. So that's, I don't know if that would be considered like a, a hit that you would put on COINTELPRO, but I feel like it's, we're getting towards like, we're we're right there. Well, how do you not connect that to it? Because it was the police force that did it, and not well, a where did they get agency. the information from? Yeah. And it was something that they turned over to the police department. So it that wasn't. That would have been part of the plan. Keep themselves as far, as far away from it as possible. That's definitely tied to it. I guess they just... I want to try to get the benefit of it out. Because that's that's a pretty... It goes without saying, it's a pretty mm-hmm. awful thing to do. The next one, um, Viola Lazuso, I think was her name. Probably not getting that right. Uh, sorry. Uh, she was murdered. She was down working for a civil rights group. And they got to a town, and the town's like, Mm-mm, you're going to have to turn around. The KKK's here. They're hot on your tail. You need to turn tail and run. So I think they were headed back to Atlanta. They stopped off at a gas station, again got ran off, and they ended up getting run off the road by four KKK members. And Viola got shot and killed. And the person that pulled the trigger's name was Gary Rowe. Well, Gary Rowe worked for the FBI. And he was a plant put in the KKK. A plant put in the KKK. So who, who caught them? Like local law enforcement? Mm-hmm. Or? They ended up getting arrested. And when they got arrested, he, the FBI basically said, this guy's one of ours. He didn't do the shooting. So as soon as they say that, they're like, well, we want to question. They go, that's fine. They gave him two federal agents that showed up to his questioning with the local police department and basically just saved his ass from everything. All three of the other uh, Klansmen marked him as the shooter. They said this was the guy that pulled the gun that killed her. And he still ended up walking while the other three ended up getting charged and then convicted. And after that, he ended up being a U.S. Marshal. So, like, they they insulated their own guys so far to go there. And whether he pulled the trigger or not, he was still a part of that plan. And the plan may have gone awry, or it may not have. Maybe that was the plan, was to kill somebody. He was the one that pulls the trigger. Instead of them turning on one of their own, they go ahead and insulate him, they save him, they protect him, and everybody else goes down for it. That's, again, that's just, they keep getting bigger and bigger. And she probably wasn't as big a player as Fred Hampton was, but there were both two people fighting for the cause. Do you want to get into Martin Luther King? Yeah, uh, before him, Malcolm X is kind of another one that I circled, and I think it was up until last year or two years ago, they had two guys that they had captured and convicted that were in jail for the assassination of Malcolm X, but they just turned over their convictions and released both of them after, like, 40 years or something like that. Based on what? Based on not enough evidence. So is it believed that they are the people that actually did it, or that is there evidence to state like oh these they guys were exonerated, are... so they were they had their sentences, they got clemency or a pardon. I, well, you, that word is just made up. That's not time. You can't get your fucking time back. No, and 
I, there's just these certain little things like them being released and us not knowing who assassinated Malcolm X and the fact that Malcolm X was really big on the radar because one of the things that uh, Hoover didn't want was he didn't want them to have a deity. Like, he didn't want them to have somebody... have a messiah. Yeah, that's a better word for it. So Malcolm X kind of ended up filling that martyr spot. And I think out of all the people that they targeted, out of all these um, activist groups, they targeted on Martin Luther King. And I think in one of their files when they were talking about it, it was between him and, like, two other guys. And they still focused on Martin Luther King, but they also said that the reason that everybody else wasn't behind him and all the other movements was he lacked, um, because he was a pacifist, Mm -hmm. he lacked the, what they considered the liberal ability for violence. Whereas the other two did have that capability. So that was kind of their reasoning why he was the, the biggest threat of if he turned, they believed he could have turned that on. And, and became the threat there. Um, they were surveilling Martin Luther King for a long time. They had information regarding at all the different hotels. He constantly traveled. That's what he was doing. He was traveling all around, mostly, I don't know if, how far like west he traveled, but it sounds like between the south and like D.C. and all those areas, he was traveling. And he would, um, a lot of these places he would stay in to speak, he would always stay in like the same hotels and the same hotel rooms. So they were able to kind of build up a pattern of where he was going to be. They would know his schedule, where he was going to, you know, be staying at, where he was going to be speaking. So, I mean, they had all of this information. They were able to preemptively go into these hotel rooms that they knew he stayed in and wiretap them. You're bugging phones. You're putting microphones and plants. Just anything that you can get to catch a little bit of information. And uh, coming from them wiretapping Stanley Levison and listening to a lot of those stories. That was probably where they thought this was going to be the best would be on phone calls. And unfortunately they went a different direction with it. They Martin Luther King was a a great dude and I don't hold any of this against him for everything that he did. He was a little bit of a philanderer. People are complex, man. They are. Like I said, it just is gray and some of the gray is darker than the other gray and people kind of fluctuate between those areas and they can move in and out of them throughout their lives. People are complex. Well, and again, it's kind of that same theory of like, I, I didn't really care that Clinton got a blowjob. I, uh, there's certain different things. Can you like, separate the man from the action? Can you separate the message from the morality? Like it's, it's yeah, I, I don't need you to be morally perfect. Mm-hmm. I just need you to not be corrupt and not be a fucker. Mm-hmm. And King was an exemplary human being. So uh, for his shortcomings, he more than made up for it in the positives that he did. He was a net positive on the world. And when they started zoning in and they got these recordings of the affairs, they, I don't know who sent the note. There was somebody under Hoover that uh, sent King something that they called the suicide letter. Yeah. It never, it never actively said that word, but it was telling him that he only had one way out of this. He knew what that one way out was and that he was going to take that one way out or they were going to ruin his life. Basically he was giving 34 days, which the letter showed up 34 days from when he was going to receive the Nobel peace prize. So getting the peace prize was kind of like the end of that time. And I don't think he ever actually 
read it, or maybe he didn't read it first, but Coretta was the one that opened it up. They No, they sent multiple copies. Oh, did they? Yeah, and so they made sure that she, like, that she would get a copy, not that, like, it got sent to the house, but, like, that she, well, it got sent to the house, but probably when he wasn't there. Could be. So, these 34 days come and pass, King gets the Nobel Peace Prize, very deserving, and... I, I like this part. I, this is how I know that um, the people that King really did have a good hold on the people and he had the people's ear was Hoover tried to take these recordings to the press and they just tried to say like these came from un, or unknown sources, something like that. But he distributes out all these recordings to the press saying, look at your Messiah. He's a terrible person. He's not somebody that you should be looking up to or listening to. And the press was kind of like, eh, dude, this this isn't the big a deal that you think that it is. Like, this isn't the ace in the hole that you think you have over King. And they just refused to publish him, which I think is awesome that everybody just kind of said, no, we're, we're not going to play these dirty games. He's not the guy that you're making him out to be. You just try to want to knock him down and... He, nobody ever published anything for him. So he immediately knew at that point that I think King was a much bigger threat because he did have the backing of the media. Yeah. So I, I found the letter. Should I read some of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not that long, is it? it it's pretty long. I'm just going to read the first paragraph and then the last paragraph because it's kind of gives you a sense of what's in there. So in view, uh, King just says King. In view of your low-grade abnormal personal behavior, I will not dignify your name with either a Mister or a reverend, or a doctor. And your last name uh, calls to mind only the type of kings such as King Henry VIII and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct lower than that of a beast. Basically, it just goes through and tells them what it's going to ruin if they release this information, like his connections with the church and the movement and all this kind of stuff. So the end part of it is, King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days, in reference to the um, Nobel Peace Prize, um, to do this, this exact number has been selected for a specific reason. Uh, it hits definite practical significance. You are done. There is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. And I think they said that it was written as like a coming from a typewriter, a, but a like a black person that was in the movement. So. Um. Kind of like a word disgraced by what you did, not coming it, from the it, government. It didn't so, no. To, to, when I read that, I don't know if it's because I know this before that, but it doesn't, it doesn't read like that to me. No, it doesn't. Which and, is probably the reason why it reads like that, because it was written by someone in fucking Hoover's office. Written by an arc. What, what, what would one of the Black Panthers say in this letter? <laughs> Think they had like two or three that they first typed up. It was like, yo, homie, or like, what's up, bruh? You think anyone's <laughs> like, no, going to no, go no. through stripping of his titles or anything like that? Of being like, I don't refer you to as Mr. Reverend or Doctor or anything like that. Yeah, that's something to do in a fucking suit and lately. Or wherever the FBI headquarters is. Yeah, at least slip a little vernacular in there, maybe. Call him Brother King or something like that to really make it look like it. But I personally think that and again, back to being a conspirator, I think that the FBI had a lot more to do with King's assassination than they didn't, than they let on. 
And James Earl Ray just kind of getting to the, the coup de grace of all of it on April 14th, 1968. James Earl Ray ended up assassinating Martin Luther King in Memphis, Tennessee. And he went on the lam for a, a good long while. They ended up, I think they picked him up somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Is that where it was? Mm-hmm. So he he went up to Canada, I think, and went on the run that way. Got a fake it, ID in Canada and then went overseas. And I'm trying to remember exactly. We're going to cover it in that episode, so. Mm-hmm. Not but, to gloss over that or anything, but. No, we'll, we'll just, there's more to come. But he ended up confessing to murder after he got caught. And he did that to take the death penalty off the table, which people always do. You'll always try to take that for life in prison. And then three days after, he completely recanted what he said. He completely recanted the confession, said, I didn't do this. This wasn't me. And he came up with this story where a guy named Raul. Ah, yes. Raul. He met met up in Montreal. You know what Raul sounds like? Swarthy. Yeah. I, he went the wrong way. He should have said he met him in Mexico if his name was Raul. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to meet a guy named Raul in Montreal. That's mm-hmm. going to be, that's a stretch. Hey, I'm Raul, eh? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was just an arms dealer that supposedly recruited James Earl Ray to go on this whole escapade to assassinate Martin Luther King. And whether that's just him trying to cover his ass. And like Raul was there in the room. And he's the one that shot him. It was something like that, that he was there the whole time. But somehow Ray's fingerprints were the only ones that were found on the murder It was a fight club situation where you're seeing Tyler Durden and Edward Norton (laughs) at the same time, but it's really just one of them. Yeah. And there's a million different things that we'll get into about the assassination, just about the the other theories that they kind of thought. But one of the big failings in this whole deal was they assigned the FBI to investigate the King case. Which, if he's a a target of theirs, they shouldn't have been anywhere near that investigation. Mm-hmm. And the King family ended up, I think they sued in civil court the FBI after a few different things came out. I think they ended up settling for, it was a decent amount, I think. And that doesn't really matter, but yeah. there was enough evidence there to say that the FBI mishandled was the investigation or something like that. There's culpability. Yeah. And that, that to me, if you're able to get that and there's just so many questions about That's the thing, like you should have, there should be no ties. Mm-hmm. If you had nothing to do with it, there would be no ties. And if you had him as a target, you should have said, this is a conflict of interest. We're going to recuse mm-hmm. ourselves from this investigation and hand it over to somebody else. They didn't. And it, I think that was kind of their pen ultimate worst thing that they did. Was I, I, That's I truly, such a weird word. What? Penultimate. I, I read it. it right? I, I look at it how it's... No, I think that's how you say it. Like, I look at the word and I go to say it, and it just sounds like a gibberish word to me. <laughs> it's like, what does a pen have to it's do with ending. ultimate? Just say it's the ending. The, the finale. Uh, yeah, it was their kind of their peak of the the terrible shit that they did, and this this went on for a long time. From fifty six to seventy one is a long ass time for them to be running these covert operations. And once they slayed their communist beast, they came after the next best thing that they could think of. So here's the thing that I think I was talking about in the first part is this kind of stuff only coming to light because the information was leaked through various means. And so specifically COINTELPRO 
It was secret up until March 8th, 1971. So there was this group called the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI. And they hell of were, a name. Yeah, hell of a name. <laughs> the CCIF. I was going to say, maybe make yourself a little <laughs> less visible with the name and everything. You can still do what you need to do. Um, what they actually did is they broke into an FBI field office in Media, Pennsylvania, and they took several like dossiers and basically... 800 documents they yes. stole. And they, they grabbed everything that they could get their hands on. And I mean, they had it planned to where they were going to do it during the, uh, the night of the boxing match, the fight of the century between Ali and Joe Frazier, because they knew that it would act as kind of a cover and it would pull so many, they would be like a skeleton crew if hardly anyone there at the field office. Everybody wants to watch the fight. It's the biggest thing going on people in the country. Are probably, agents are probably drinking. So people are going to respond. The local police are going to respond, you know, a little slower. Um, and through the documents that they actually gained here, they leaked them to the media and many news organizations. They initially refused to publish the information and the Washington post actually ran it. Did you hear the, levels of protection that they came up with to get away with this stuff. Mm -mm. So after they broke in and after they took all the documents, there were eight of them, I think maybe 16 total, Mm -hmm. but they rationed out the documents between all eight of them and all eight of them got in different vehicles and drove away in different directions. So that way, if one of them got picked up, they still had the majority mm-hmm. in the other people's Something's going to get through. It, there's no way that they're going to get all mm-hmm. eight of them and take all the information back. So if they could separate and they could kind of scatter, then they end up getting together and going through all the information. And this wasn't just like regular run-of-the-mill stuff. They had just top-secret information that was just kind of out there floating around in media Pennsylvania. Is that, was that the name of the town? Yeah. That's, excuse me, I, Media Pennsylvania is probably not a big bustling And there's an hub. FBI field office there. Yeah, like, that just seems like a stupid like idea. Like, how many places to... had FBI field offices that, you know, of course they may not have known that they were field offices, mm-hmm. but they no longer have them. Like, how many medium-sized cities had an FBI presence? Well, why wasn't this shit all in a safe? Like, why was it just sitting there in, like, file cabinets? Hey, man, it's easy to leave documents just <laughs> laying out. In an office or Especially after of... they did all this black bag shit to all mm-hmm. these other organizations. Like you were Hey man, you take some stuff in boxes, <sighs> you don't know what's in there and it was yours to begin with. I mean, come on, that happens to a lot of people, right? Yeah, well all you really have to do is just think about it and then everything's okay to take. So So the attorney general was basically telling these new news organizations, don't run any of this information. Washington Post went against his um, request, prompted other news organizations to follow suit. It's a hot story. Other outlets are going to be like, fuck it. They did it. Oh, yeah. We're doing it too. And within the year, uh, Hoover declared that the centralized COINTEL was over and that all future counterintelligence operations would be handled on a case-by-case basis. Like, oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. So, like, all the shit that you should have been doing from, like, Oh, now you're going to follow the rules. Right, right. You you can literally see within him saying that, like, COINTEL Pro is over. COINTEL 2.0 is a go. It's just like a kid that you tell him he did something wrong. He's like, I'm sorry. He's still the head of the FBI. Yeah. Until what? You said 79? Um, Is that what we finished up with? Okay, so... 72. 70, okay. So a year later, but that's still not... 
Not a big deal. And even before that, he was the director of the Bureau of Investigations, which I'm sure was before the FBI. Mm-hmm. That was 1924. So the man's been in it forever, and he died. Oh, he actually died pretty soon after that. He died May 2nd, 1972. So the hate that he was unable to fucking <laughs> just built up inside of him, persecute minorities, just fucking ate him from the inside out. <laughs> he hated everyone so much that without an outlet for that shit, he just fucking imploded. So speaking of, you know, the presidents that were Hoover was in that position or COINTELPRO was, uh-huh. you know, in effect, um, there's a list of what specific presidents have been proven to have asked Jennifer Hoover to gather information. So well, like everyone's hands get fucking dirty. And a lot of it came out too, I think, um, in the Pentagon papers that got published after that, the ones that Nixon was so afraid of. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of oh, information. Well, Nixon, this like, can you imagine Nixon knowing about this? Like, of course he, he did stuff. Well, it, him trying to keep that secret, I'm sure would be so hard. Like he, they go into meetings. He'd be like, Are you ready? Mr. President. He's like, yeah. Like, what do you not talk about? He's like, I kind of want to talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. what do you not talk about? He's like, call and tell pro. <laughs> call and tell pro. <laughs> so uh, Teddy Roosevelt asked the FBI to put its files up, but in its files, the names and citizens sending telegrams to the White House opposing his national defense policy and supporting Colonel Charles Lindbergh. Supporting him? Oh, no, like, so he wanted to know who his supporters were. Because I'm guessing Charles, Colonel Charles Lindbergh was probably the voice against Roosevelt's national defense policy. Wasn't Lindbergh the guy that flew the plane across the Atlantic Ocean? Oh, that is, yeah. Yeah. What the hell kind of following does he have? He was a colonel. He was in the mil- he yeah, was probably okay. like high up in the military, man. Um President Truman received inside information on former Roosevelt aides efforts to influence his opponent or influence his appointments, like appointments of staff. Mm-hmm. Um, labor union negotiating plans and the publishing plans of journalists. Uh, Eisenhower received reports on purely political and social contacts with foreign officials by Bernard Birch, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas. Uh, Kennedy administration, a little bit longer. They had the FBI wiretap, a congressional staff member, three executive officials, a lobbyist, and a Washington law firm. The U.S. Attorney General, RFK, received the fruits of an FBI wiretap on Martin Luther King Jr. and an electronic listing device targeting a congressman, both of which yielded information of political nature. Yikes. Yep. President Johnson. Some didn't of these guys are like two-term presidents. Yeah. So like, Johnson didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. Asked the FBI to conduct name checks of his critics and members of staff of his 1964 opponent, Senator Barry Goldwater. Oh, that's it? He also requested purely political... I don't know why it says purely political intelligence. So, like, no personal intelligence? He also requested purely political intelligence on his critics in the Senate and received extensive intelligence reports on political activity at the 1964 Democratic Convention from FBI electronic surveillance. Johnson is a little dirty. All he was this looking Johnson's for... This Johnson's got some... This Johnson's got some rust on it. He might have just been looking for, like, naked pictures of these guys' wives or something, It burns this Johnson a little bit when it pees. <laughs> that it definitely did, I'm sure. Nixon. 
His is short, but it's just the points of it because we know what he uses for. Well, and Nixon went on after this. This all ended during Nixon's reign. Yes. So authorized a program of wiretaps. Can't even get specific because it's an entire program, which produced for the White House purely political or... Per- then why does it say purely political or personal information unrelated to <laughs> national security, including information about Supreme Court justices? So, I mean... Is this, is this one of those things where when you do get into, like, office as the president and you find out, like, what's really available, what's really at your disposal, you find out the scary shit or you find out the people giving you the information put it, you know, know how to play you. Um, and so they're like, we have this tool that we can find out the people who, you know, are against you and can make things, you know, difficult for you to try to achieve these noble goals we can get information just to make sure that they're not roadblocking you or, or anything like that. Um, you know, can we go ahead and do that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's for the good of the nation. Right? Yeah, of course it's for, I mean, this benefits everybody, even them. They just don't know it. I, and I think Edgar was just a, like a good pet to have because he was going to go whichever way the wind blows, whether it's a conservative or you a think Democratic it was like, president. You know, if I'm, if this, if I'm going to have this dog, I need to have it on a leash. I can't have this dog running loose. Well, and I think it was more of like he was an outside dog that would do whatever he could to stay outside. Like whoever needed the intelligence, because it sounds like most of that shit was just going against their political opponents. So if he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll allocate 5% of our resources to find dirt that you want. Just let us have the other 95%. It's like, okay. That's... You got any tinfoil in here? I, I don't need it. Okay. J. Edgar Hoover is the FBI's personal thing. Okay. Do you think that he was able to have this control and oversight or lack of oversight, essentially, um, because he had information on his bosses? Uh, Yeah, everybody does that. That's the thing. And going back to or maybe forward either way, we were talking about Larry Flint. He kind of did the same thing. Anybody that he worked with, he always wanted to have dirt on them. Because the more dirt that he had on the people that he was doing business with, the better, stronger hold that he had mm-hmm. on them. So I have no doubt that Hoover probably had a, a wiretap or something in the White House to listen in on this shit. Mm-hmm. And every time they said no to whatever he was doing and tried to quash it out, he could always be like, yeah, it's, that's funny, man. You remember that June 10th meeting that you took Not when you were talking that, about that? But I mean, he would have people probably following Political dissenters, uh, the president, members of Congress, trying to get dirt on their, like, fucking proclivities and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how tight the FBI and the Secret Service are, but I'm sure there's a little overlap there that he could have got information from those dudes, too. Like, all of, all of this is on the table. All of this is very realistic. Anybody that searches this much information out and is looking to do this much harm is definitely always going to have, like, a plan B. They're always going to have a card up their sleeve to deal with who they need to deal with. Well, and here's the thing, too. Like, is it comforting, like, that this program ended? It Not really. Okay, first of all, it didn't wouldn't have come to light had it not been, the documents not been stolen. The other thing is, do you, like, yeah, they just changed the name. Like, the file... On the computer, you know, you can, you ever just fucking, you know, right click on a desktop file and there's a rename, you backspace, and then you name it what you want to name it. Sure. That's all they do. That's all they would do. Like who, where's the oversight? Like what happened? I understand that Hoover was out a little, you know, of the, what, a couple of years after this program ended. Right after but then he died. What, you know, with the Edward Snowden thing, 
with the release on all of that information about surveillance and going through, this stuff just gets put under a different name. Yeah, I, I like to, and this is just trying to be the optimist, I like to give places like the FBI and the CIA a little credit that they have the greater good in our... I think now, I think more so now, but here's the thing is, there, there's no civilian oversight at this point. No. Like, there's people like whistleblowers that will actually bring this stuff to light that have tried to root out the the bad parts and the, you know, the corrupt portions of these. You don't think that there's like a tiny bit, though, that they've figured out how to duck and dodge enough to still have these I'm, covert I'm deals? sure there are, man, but here's the deal. Like, and you can talk to this about anything. There is no organization. There is no friend group there is no business there is no team that does not have a, a negative does does not you know that is not the bad apple in that we we see it all the time and but we want to use that example as you know let's go ahead and label everybody this everything well i think it's justified to question intentions currently of secret services like the FBI and these kind of places because we've been burned in the past. Yes, of course. I would like to think with the way that you're saying like oversight and everything like that, like we've hopefully rooted out 99% of this shit. And when this stuff comes to effect and like, you know, comes to light. Yes. I would, I would hope maybe it's the optimist in me that checks would be put into place where there would be, you know, patches on the leaks. Something. You wouldn't just let a broken system stay broken. Like, I, if you don't have, you know, of course you need to question things. I'm not saying don't question things. But just to get through your fucking day, you have to have a little bit of optimism that the things that are supposed to keep running will keep running. It's right? okay. Yeah, it's okay to have a healthy distrust of the government and their agencies. But then the logical mind also has to kick in with that distrust to say there's too many things going on right now that these people aren't doing this. Like this is an actual issue that they're dealing mm-hmm. with. But <coughs> when there's, when there's no oversight and there's no checks or balances, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that happens. But this is where those checks and balances came from and stuff like this, mm-hmm. where they got their nuts put on the table and then smashed with the hammer. And now they have to try to either go deeper or just fucking stop breaking the law. Did Hoover leave like of his own, of his own accord or did he get the boot or was he one of those situations? He's like, you're fucking out, but we'll allow you to say it's your idea. Bow out gracefully. Yeah. Do you think it was that we're going to your, your years of service? We're going to tender your resignation, but you can do it. Um, let's see. That's interesting. Excuse me. I would assume that he had to have been pushed out because pushed, but not like actively terminated, removed. Who was president? So that was during Nixon. So that's when, how much of this do you think, you know, you know, this was in 71. What? Hoover remained director of the FBI until he died of a heart attack. So God took him out. (laughs) Yeah. In Washington, he died in his Washington home on May 2nd, whereupon operational command of the bureau was passed on to associate director Clyde Tolson. So he was still in charge of the FBI all up until he died. Which, after all this shit comes Thank to God light... Thank God for that fucking heart attack. Yeah, I, that heart attack was a big player. That, that was a good move. Because had he known he was going to be leaving, that gives him the opportunity to place someone in position 
to secede him that's going to be keeping it in the same direction. Well, we can't expect Nixon to try to shut down and kick out some dude that's running counterintelligence. No. The other thing, too, is do you, do you think that maybe once Hoover died, it if Hoover would have been in the position to protect both Nixon by protecting himself, you know, kind of in a, I'm good. Um, do you think without Hoover there, it kind of took a, Shit, it's fine. Uh, took a piece off the board for Nixon to try to fix the whole Watergate situation. Like Nixon dying or, uh, Hoover dying. Was yeah. He like, didn't have that ace up his sleeve. Nixon was just pissed that he died because he couldn't help him anymore. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be the back door out of it. Yeah. I, it, they were kind of cut from the same cloth, so it seems like it would be beneficial to have Hoover there to try to cover shit up. Yeah. But I don't think anything was going to save Nixon, so. Well, this makes me feel good. <laughs> There's a lot of things in U.S. history that I don't know if they get passed over or people just kind of look at things at a surface level. What's nuts is this isn't even conspiratorial. Yeah. We Mm-mm. touched on a couple of things that might be considered, you know, fringe conspiracy, but like all of this has been like revealed to be accurate and true. This isn't just like, Oh, did you hear about Quinto? Oh, that's a, that's a whispered room. No, like it's actually a thing that happened. Yeah. We had MK ultra that dosed people with acid. We had COINTELPRO pro that was running, uh, like international espionage against American Has citizens. Has anyone ever been given authority and no oversight, and it turned out well? Oh. We, I we haven't really. I mean, Alexander had no no oversight, and he just kept trying to fucking conquer places until it killed him. And he just kept pushing himself to see how far he could get. Yeah, that's it. We never really learned Is about... Is it ultimate power corrupts... Abs- or absolute power corrupts absolutely? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's... Uh, if you're... If you don't have any oversight, if you don't have to answer to anybody, you're going to try to push the limits if that is your personality. I just kind of had this fleeting thought. We... Did you ever learn about anything like semi-conspiratorial in school? No. There wasn't... And that was, was all the fucking like... Not even the conspiracy stuff. But like the, like the heart, you know what, this is going to hurt to hear, but it's fucking factual. Like, can you not, you know, here it is. You're not asking what someone wants to learn. You're putting it in front of them and you're saying you learned this. You think teaching stuff like this and MK ultra would be teaching them to question the information that they're given. Yeah. It would, it would would make them, it would make them less compliant, I guess. What happens is you get older, you become less trustful, you become more questioning. Like, that just happens as you get older. If they're able to, they already know that's going to happen, but what? why are they going to go ahead and jumpstart that? Maybe some people never get to that point. They never, you know, have that thing. They're like, why is this that way? But, so they're not going to go ahead and jumpstart that or give anybody any, any ideas. I would love to fucking sit in on like a discussion or a forum on how you select curriculum to teach like kids. That's a slippery slope though. Cause I think we're seeing that now from people that are doing that same thing too, but there's no, more no, no, that's what I'm saying. Personal opinion. That's what I'm saying is that's why this stuff does not get taught or even, you know, mentioned is because that curriculum has been selected by people 
They just want to keep it down the guardrails. Yes. It's it's bumper bowling, dude. Yeah. Don't, don't we're not going to let you get anywhere near the gutter. We're just going to keep you keep you nice and centered, as centered as we can. It's bowling with bumpers and then the little thing that looks like an old lady's walker. The <laughs> that toddlers used to drop the ball. That's a I have a I don't know why this comes to my mind so much. And I think it's just whenever we start talking about King. But I remember in eighth grade, uh, the teacher that I had when we were talking about Martin Luther King Day, I remember asking her, I go, wasn't Martin Luther King on the list of America's Most Wanted? And she kind of looked at me for a second and kind of turned her head. And she goes, well, yeah, but it's not really for the reasons that you would think. And I just remember saying, well, like in my black and white child mm-hmm. mind, I was like, but if the government wanted him, he had to have done something bad, mm-hmm. right? And you don't get on that list unless you, you're a bad person. Yeah. yeah. Through all the the drugs and alcohol that I've thrown in my brain, though, I still remember this moment, and I still remember this happening, and I remember the look on her face, and I remember her like kind of fighting like with that inner monologue, mm-hmm. like, I really want to like set this kid right. Is this kid going to go home and say something to his parents if I lay some shit on him right now? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, she's trying to weigh like her job and yep. how dumb I am yep. to... If, if teaching is your... If that's your thing, I love talking about this stuff. Like, I love us just bullshitting back and forth. Mm-hmm. If I was able to, and I love talking, like, I'm going to love, like, talking to, like, my kid about just, like, history and cool shit and comics and all. But what I'm saying is, like, if you're passionate about something, you want to, like, do that as well as you can. And sometimes that means, I'm not saying the teacher should do this or anything. I'm saying it sucks that, like, you can't even talk about, like, true factual things. That those are somehow off limits because they're ugly or because they're regretful or anything well yeah like that's that's called life like no one goes through life without any regrets but like the country is a life and it went it goes through the same type of shit but what do you do as a person if you make some a bad decision and you do something you're smart enough to know not to do that again because you are reminded that information is with you from Mm -hmm. doing it if you don't share the information it leads people down a situation that's already occurred but it has a negative result Yeah, and you can't, like, you have to weigh the benefits of sharing that negative result with a young mind. And just thinking about, like, what you were talking about, could you imagine how depressing it would be if you were in, like, eighth grade and you got the whole, like, world of politics and everything laid at your feet? You'd just be like, what the fuck, man? I was just thinking about passing a note during lunch, and now you're laying this shit on me? That's why they don't do, I think, I don't know if high school still does or even does the class, but it was for us, it was government. That was the name mm. of the class. And it was our, it was the class that was assigned to you that you had to take as part of your senior year. So they waited till you were at that point. And even then government wasn't about, it was exactly what you would expect. It was learning about the government, not how it actually works where, you know, maybe the term lobbyist came up, but it was a very scarce definition. Skimmed over very quickly. Yes. It didn't explain like, so you never made the connection of like, what companies would need lobbyists? Every company would need lobbyists. Even companies I don't like have lobbyists. What a lot. So they just talk to they just talk to the people and like they're really good at talking. Uh-uh. No, no, they have fucking money, and so you know, learning about that. I'm not going to say it's going to make you distrustful, but what it's also going to do is like, how many people do you think 
I know we're kind of going on a tangent here, but you guys can stop this if you're if you're here for CoinTelPro. Have a lovely evening. Nailed it. But how many people, if they learned about government and how you can find your way into that? Because doesn't isn't that one of those things like that seems sports even seem attainable as a kid? Positions of government those don't seem attainable because it's always really old people when you saw them as a kid and you're like, well, I'm, well then I can't even get into that position until I'm old. Yeah, so why am I even going to think about it now? But like, imagine being in a high school, teaching a high school class and being like, did you know that you can start being or participating in like city council for at like, I think it's 18. Yeah. You can start participating as a counselor. You can start doing good around your community and you can work your way up. All of a sudden you're now a state representative you can do that for the right reasons if you're inspired by it. We've also seen some examples of some people being in that position that did it for the wrong reasons. And it's like, now what that's going to do is that ruins it for anybody that wanted to take that chance when they were younger and try to push. They're always going to be compared to that person for a while. That's good. That person's, they're going to have to work out of that person's hole, even though they might be the right person for the job. They got to work out of these shitty people's hole now surface level when you look at political positions and from like a younger age you only see like the grace of it you only see that you have to be intelligent and that you want you want to know that the smartest people that you know are going to be making the decisions for you do you are you even ever aware as a kid that there's anything less than down the totem pole than like the president congress from a national level and then all of a sudden you learn you're like oh our state has a legislature our state has things where they have... We have a Senate and a House of Representatives uh, in, in the state. In the state to make rules. And then each city has its own form where, like, big cities have, like, mayors and city councilors, and they make the rules that were within the... There's all these other... What the fuck? Yeah, even moving down to the people in the government that hand out... Um, oh, shit. Like, uh... Comptrollers? Yeah, and the people that have to write, I don't know why this word escapes me, but, like, permits. Like, the permitting office yeah. to, like, build onto your house or anything like yes. that. Like, it, government controls all the way down to yeah. the fucking people that give you licenses. Like, that, that's all government. Yeah. But I think when you're young and you see, like, all the the things of, like, the heroism and being smart and all the redeeming qualities you want in a politician, and then when you become old enough to realize, like, that's been your dream for 20 years... And then you realize that it's more of a moral conundrum to try to go into politics mm-hmm. because you will always have to deal with somebody I that's I think corrupt. it's a constant battle of compromise when you're in your head and you're like, what? I, I need to get something done. I got to get something done. What am I willing to give of myself or to essentially kind of sell myself? What's my line? And I, I can never cross that line. And some people are just like, I don't have the line. Mm-hmm. If it if it tries to let me do what I need to do or stay in this position, I'm going to have no line and I'll say whatever. And how th- how far down the political prostitution totem pole do you want to go? Like, are you yeah. everything's off limits? Are you willing to give a handy yeah. to get some shit done? Are you willing and to can blow I still somebody? maintain any credibility for that shit? Yeah, and you got to go home and look at yourself at night after mm-hmm. you do that shit too. That's just I I used to think that being either like a government official or something like that would be great. Until I ran into that moral conundrum of being like, oh, this isn't just trying to be smart and know all the rules. This is like how far you're willing to wager your 
yourself basically mm-hmm. to get things done. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a dirty game and it's not a fun game to play. And I, <laughs> I don't know. That's how we end up with the politicians that we do, though, because mm-hmm. you have to be such a megalomaniac to want to do it and to know like, OK, all the people that you want walk away because they don't want that moral conundrum. Mm-hmm. And all the people that you don't want are like, yeah, sell me. I don't yep. care. So yeah, if it's in an echo chamber, rough, rough. All right. Life. Well, hopefully that didn't depress anyone. Yeah. Peace be with you. All right. <laughs> well, you got anything else? No, we're good, man. All right. Later guys. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard hit that subscribe and like button, follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway. Cause we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like, um, please follow us on our social media. Adam hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right, and if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.